Shalom, my friends, and welcome back. Today we are going to address one of the most important issues in this whole area of betachen and its benefits. We have multiple times during the course of this series suggested that all you need is trust. So long as you trust in Hashem, you have nothing to worry about. God will be there for you. For example, I shared with you the teaching of the Yalka Chimoni, which states, What will the Jewish people do in a time when they're in trouble? Big trouble. Bishashi Yisrael Nichnasim Litzara. So what do we say? Say, hey, God, save us. God says, tell me, any of you actually revere, have the full appropriate respect for God in heaven? And our response is, well, you know, in the past we had Moses, Joshua. <laughs> there was once the times of King David, Bimei David, Bimei Shol, of Al-Achshav. Kol hi lono. Now it's like we're all focused on our own little needs. We're not thinking about God as we should. So can any of us say that we really have the proper awe and respect for God? In other words, God said, you need help? Do you have the proper respect? Are you in awe of your Creator? But we can't say yes. God says, Just trust in me. Trust in my name. And this is the meaning, Why? You trust me? I'll be there for you. That doesn't sound like there's too many strings attached. Sounds uh, pretty straightforward. In the words of the Ikarim, one of the great medieval philosophers of our nation, he says, the verse tells us, the one who trusts in God, he will be enveloped, wrapped in Hashem's kindness. That is to say, even if we speak of a person who is not deserving in and of themselves. It is the manner, the way of trust in Hashem to bring forth gratuitous kindness for those who trust in Hashem. Later on, the Ikarim says, this is in the beginning of, that was the last lines of chapter 46, in the beginning of chapter 47, he says, If only a person would place their aspiration, their hope in God, as it should be, appropriately. God would not withhold, He would not refrain from bestowing us 
with his kindness, his largesse, and his beneficence. Ki who Hashem always wants to give. We just, we just need to be mekave karoi. We have to have the appropriate hope in Hashem. Doesn't seem to have strings attached. The words of Nachmanides, the great Ranban, who says in his treatise on her Emuna Vahabitochen, David Hamelach, King David, indeed says in the book of Psalms, Betach Bahashem, trust in God, Vaasetev, and you should do some good things. In other words, you know, trust, but do good things. But doesn't say do good things and then trust. And from this, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman Nachmanides extrapolates that the prophet, the psalmist, means to say, even if you come empty-handed. You don't have the virtues. You don't possess the merits. You haven't done much good in your life. You may know the truth. That you're a wicked person. Ramban says, you're a wicked person. You don't have merits in hand. Im despite it all, betach Place your trust in Hashem. Because God is the master of compassion. And therefore, He will be merciful towards you. As God states through His prophet, through the psalmist, much later on at the end of the book, God's mercy is upon all of His handiwork, unconditionally. Ramban interprets this specifically to refer towards humankind. And he says, the meaning of the prophet, the intimation of these words, kol masav, it's an inclusive statement, tzaddikim urishoyim, the righteous and the wicked. Just trust in Hashem. Bein Bein Be you righteous or wicked, betach Hashem, trust in Hashem, and then you'll do some good things too. It's pretty clear. You don't have to be righteous. You don't have to be meritorious. As one of my good friends and congregants recently asked me, so what is this, some kind of uh, genie? <laughs> you rub the bottle of betochen and out comes the blessings? How does that work? Is there nothing else required from us other than betochen? Is this like the be-all and end-all of God's mitzvahs? Something seems a little bit odd there. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. My friends, welcome to the 59th episode 
of the study of Shara Betochen. If you want to get technical, this is actually the 60th lecture or episode on the subject. It's just that the first one was an, a prologue, an, an in general introduction to Betochen. And then afterwards, we began to study the Shara Betochen inside from the actual text. And, and we've talked a lot about this very, very important principle in our relationship with God. Today, as we continue to study the third chapter of the Gate of Trust, which is the 14th segment of this chapter in our studies, we are going to be addressing this very issue. Does one have to actually be observant, mindful of Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs? Or can one simply do as he or she pleases, as long as they trust? Do you get a free pass if you manage to nurture betachen? How and why would that be the case? I'm glad you asked. The balance of today will focus exclusively on trying to understand this very important concept. So, with no further ado, let's get all this forum opened. Hello, everybody. I see many of you have joined. I'm grateful for your presence. Your being here to study together with me means the world to me. And I'm not exaggerating. So, let us move forward. We'll begin on page... Let's see. We're going to be on page 76, if you're following along in the Kihat edition, which many of you have purchased. And that's good, because we need to have at least some kind of text in front of us. On the, on the bottom of page 76, the annotator of this version this translation of the Shara Betochen, entitled it, Be God's Servant. And we are going to be delving into the fourth of five principles. The fourth principle. The fourth introductory, fundamental criteria for Betochen. V'hakdoma horavius. Shetihiyeh Hashgachato chazaka. That the person who's going to have this betochen, this trust, should be paying a great deal of attention. Acute supervision. You know, like a mashkiach. You want to know if the caterer's food or the restaurant is serving kosher? You may elect to say, can I speak to the mashkiach? I do that sometimes. You know, I just want to know details. So, hashgacha means supervision. It means you're watching the details. You're not just going along to get along. You know what you're looking for. This person, says the great Rabbi Nubachaya, this person who's going to experience the concept of trust in its fullest sense who's going to earn its benefits 
has to be the kind of person who supervises very, very seriously strong supervision, as we will call it, level one supervision. And he makes yeoman's efforts, tremendous efforts, great efforts. So we have both hashgacha, supervision, and we have efforts. And each of these verbs, the supervision and the effort, are accompanied with an adjective. The hashgacha, the supervision, which can be a noun or a verb, is being performed with the adjective of chazaka. It's done very strongly, very intensely, intense scrutiny. And the efforts that are being made are being made in a manner of gedola. Great efforts, significant efforts. They're noticeable. So a lot of supervision and a lot of efforts. Now I know this sounds like a redundancy or poetry to you, but of course it isn't. This is, this is not how we study Torah. So uh, the Paslechem was kind enough to shed some light on the seeming excessive verbiage here. And he says... Hashgacha, supervision, refers to Hashgacha chazaka al one who supervises themselves. What are they supervising? Sheyiye sor miro, that they are veering away, avoiding evil, that which the Torah calls bad. Evil doesn't have red skin, a tail, and carry a pitchfork necessarily. Ra, that which is bad or evil, is that which Hashem says, don't do. So to say something mean and spiteful to somebody, betraying the trust that they may have had for you, and sharing secrets, or bearing their heart to you, and then you betray that trust, and you say something mean and spiteful, that's wrong. That's bad. Torah calls it evil. Well, it may not be the same baleful evil as premeditated murder, but causing somebody's blood to drain from their face, which is the euphemism that Torah literature uses to describe shaming somebody in public, is also tantamount to an act of bloodletting. Almost by the metaphor of one's face blanching or turning white. So the blood drains. It's like an act of bloodletting. No, it's not as evil as pulling a knife and stabbing somebody. That's beyond horrific. But it's very bad to rob somebody of their dignity. It's just different shades of evil. So when it comes to evil, when it comes to bad things... We're supposed to avoid them. Somebody might choose to eat something which is very obviously not kosher. In a very brazen way. He's Jewish. He knows what the meaning of that is and what Hashem's expectations are, but the cheeseburger smells good. (laughs) Maybe it's the bacon and eggs. I don't know. And then there's the person who should have been more careful. They should have known to ask 
when they came into the restaurant to speak to the mashgiach because, because, you know, this was a little bit of a questionable establishment. They should have known to ask. And they were careless. It's not the same bad as somebody who sat down and said, fire up the barbecue and bring me something not kosher. But it's not appropriate. It is mildly bad when somebody didn't take the necessary precautions. <laughs> Let me spell it out, make it easy for you. Suppose somebody is allergic, has a very serious allergic reaction to something. Maybe peanuts. The person who willfully feeds them the peanuts is a monster. The person who didn't bother asking the questions before, it's not the same kind of monster, but hey, you're responsible for what happened to that person. So there are many shades of gray, so to speak. And the person who's going to have this betachem, he supervises himself with great care. He avoids all those things that the Torah says don't do. You know, oftentimes, the wrong thing to do doesn't feel like it's wrong. You don't feel like a horrible person when you're doing something wrong. Rarely, if ever, have I met somebody who said, Oh, hi, Rabbi. Welcome. I'm evil. I hate God. I hate my soul. I hate everybody. I do everything I can to vex my Creator and to spite the people around me. I tell you the truth, I've never met such a person. I'm not saying it can't exist. I never met him. But I meet people who vex God and those around them all the time. And if the opportunity presents itself, and if we get into a conversation about, don't you think your behavior could use a little bit of fine-tuning? The excuses begin. It's not my fault. Does God really care? I do other good things anyway. In other words, most people are doing things that are not good with the best of intentions, or at least no bad intention. That's why we need the supervision. <laughs> That's why you really have to watch and be careful about every moment in life. As the Paslachim puts it, Shaloi Yilkad Bimtsudas Hayetzer, so that you don't get trapped by the evil inclination. Who is always trying to snare you? He's always he's always waiting in ambush to cause you to stumble, to trip and, and make mistakes. So you have to really watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. <laughs> Many years ago when I was in Russia, I didn't speak much Russian, but I, I did learn the hard way that when the announcement comes on the subway, Astarozhna Dvezakrovayetse, watch out, supervise yourself, the doors are closing. In, in, in New York, where I was as a kid, they said, mind the doors, mind the doors. Here it was like, watch yourself, because those doors were closing, and they close <laughs> with great force. You don't want to be in the way of the closing doors of the subway in Moscow.
Asterojna. Watch out. Well, that's what this person's doing. He doesn't just have betachen. He's watching out. He's mindful of where he or she steps and how they go about life because every moment is another trap of the Yetzirah. And it says, as it says in Hayom Yom, this, this, this exquisite idea, it's actually almost chilling that sometimes the Yetzirah can tell you to do the right thing, but it's at the wrong time. And that requires what the Rebbe writes is called Hishak Mus Yaseira. You really have to be intuitive to size up the set of circumstances and to know what's right and what's wrong. So that's the meaning of the Hashgacha Chazaka. Hishtadlus Gedoyla, says the Paslechem. This refers to making significant efforts la'asot mitzvosav to do the right thing, to do what Hashem asks you to do. And that's not always easy. Oftentimes we are faced with lethargy, laziness, old-fashioned excuses. But we're always quite comfortable in our zone and with our excuses. And so we have to push ourselves. Sometimes pretty hard to do the right thing and follow the path that Hashem has ordained for us. So the Paslechem says, this is the meaning of shetihiyah. This is the preface, my friends. You want to have betochen? Live with great supervision. Make tremendous efforts. And then, says the, the Rabbeinu Bechaya, the Chavis Alvavis here in Shara Betochen, then he says, Lekayim, all of this is in order to fulfill Mashachivo bo ha-beira that which Hashem asks us to do. So we're taking great care, investing tremendous effort to do what Hashem asks us to do. Vilasot mitzvotov. And to do his mitzvahs. And to avoid what we're supposed to be avoiding. As per God's request. <laughs> God's request is not really an elective. It's, it's uh, God's expectation. But he's nice about it. He says, please, here's what I'd like you to do, says Hashem. Here's what I'm asking of you. A friend of mine recently shared that one of his children woke him up in the middle of the night. He's hungry. He wants to eat. Now. <laughs> now can be three, four, doesn't matter. Now. What does a good parent do? So, goes downstairs in his pajamas. They wash Natila Jedi. What do you want? He wants a sandwich. It's three o'clock in the morning. His dad makes him a sandwich. And then his father says, can I have a piece of your sandwich? And the little boy says, no. The father says, please, just a little piece. The boy says, no, it's my sandwich. <laughs> the father didn't need the boy to give him a piece of a sandwich. He made the boy a sandwich. He can make himself a sandwich. And it's also very doubtful that he actually wanted a sandwich at 3 o'clock in the morning. What he did want to do was teach his child to be generous. 
in this ungenerous hour of activity. And the child wasn't very generous or thoughtful. He wanted food now. It doesn't matter if everybody else is sleeping. And the father, as a good father, should provide for his child, but he's also trying to make his child into a mensch. And then my friend said, I thought about it, and he said, wow, this is like what God asks of us. Does God need our mitzvahs? Does God need us to do whatever it is that he asks of us? He could create endless angels who can do whatever Hashem asks without giving him any grief. But we are his children. So he makes a request of us. He asks you and I to give of that which he's given us, the life we feel entitled to, the time we think is ours. Hashem says, please give me of this life that I gave you. I'm asking you. How often are we that foolish boy who responds to God's generosity with selfishness? So Hashem asks of you, He's asking you all of these things. This is all a preface. This sets the stage so that God, in turn, should agree with us and give us the things we want. I found it interesting that Rabbeinu Bechaya, who measures his words, almost repeats himself thrice. He talks about Hashgachase. He talks about supervision. He talks about his shtadlusay, the efforts. Lekayim, all of these things is to fulfill what Hashem wants. Vilaseis mitzvahisif. Ulihizayr. And to do his mitzvahs. And to avoid that which is inappropriate. So I thought of a beautiful teaching in Hayom Yom, which perhaps can shed light on the seeming Seeming unnecessary redundancy. So in the, in the fifth day of Menachem Av, the Hayom Yom is about understanding a verse which is found in the book of Psalms in Psalm 34. The 15th verse is, Sur meira, turn away from evil. Asetov, do, do good. Bakesh shalom, seek out peace, urdefeu, and pursue it. Okay, so... So what is the deeper meaning? There, there is literal meaning, but I want to introduce you to a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. So the Holy Baal Shem Tov taught, he said that this means that in every material thing that God created, now we're talking about the material world that is permitted, not proscribed, not the pork, not the non-kosher entities, the kosher things, the things, the, the activities we are permitted to engage in. So, so adultery and incest is wrong. Intimacy is permitted. But we can choose to be intimate in a selfish and almost mean fashion, or it can become a vehicle through which we pursue a greater closeness to God. The non-kosher food simply isn't allowed. It's not permitted for us to eat it. The kosher food that, that's permissible doesn't mean we should be a glutton and gorge ourselves endlessly, pleasure ourselves on that which 
tastes good, for example, but is unhealthy. And so it is with all of the activities that life affords us. Many, many moments of life are not stark black and white moments of right and wrong. Now you need to affix your mezuzah. Now you need to respond to somebody who's asked you for assistance. Those are simple mitzvahs, commandments of God of what we should or shouldn't do. But there are a lot of moments in life that aren't clear. What should we do? Said the Holy Baal Shem Tev, that within the, the realm of that which is permissible, there's an element of tov and an element of ra. There is the toxic element, the bad element, if you will, and then there's what's not bad, what's considered to be good. We have a choice to make. The choice is that we should turn away from the bad or toxic negative element and we should embrace that which is good. So which part of the material world is toxic? Which part of it isn't good? The answer is, the things which are all entirely materialistic in nature, the crass matter of things versus the spiritual form of things. So to paraphrase from a metaphor, which I think we used together a number of times over the last few episodes, a, a wool jacket isn't identified as a clump of wool. There are clumps of wool. The wool jacket is a jacket. But inherently, the wool jacket and the clump of wool are both wool. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a business of selling clothes by the pound where they just take garbage or junk. We call them in Yiddish a shmata. It's not, no longer seen as a pair of pants or a shirt. It's seen as fodder or filler. It's just material. It doesn't have the value of its form anymore. So euphemistically, in, in, in metaphorical terms, there is the crass element of something, the physicality of it, and then there is the form, the purpose, the meaning, the spirituality that's attached to it, which ultimately represents the concept of a godly element that allows everything to exist, in fact, brings it into existence. So the Hayom Yom says, quoting his teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, Sur don't focus on the materialistic element, but rather focus on the good, focus on the purpose, focus on the form, focus on what Hashem asks you to do with this materialism. So you could focus on the earthy or materialistic element of the food, namely that it's pleasurable for you. Or you can focus on the importance of eating well so that you can have your health and serve Hashem and do good things. So we should reject the material element of things. We should embrace the godly or goodly element, the spiritual form of things. And then the Baal Shem Tev said, despite the apparent disparate nature of the material and the spiritual, our mission in life is to seek out peace, bakesh shalom. To come to an appreciation that without the material, we couldn't do a mitzvah. We couldn't act in a holy and a sacred way. Think about it. Without the money, how would you give tzedakah? 
how would you provide for somebody in need? You couldn't. Without the tasty food, how would you ensure that people eat in a healthy and wholesome fashion? <laughs> the answer is, maybe you couldn't. So that's why we need to appreciate the physicality for what it is, namely, an opportunity. So you're making peace. You're erasing the distinction or gap between the matter and the form, and you're appreciating that it is only through utilization, harnessing the matter, that you can come to the form. And then, this is something that has to be pursued. This idea, incidentally, is lifted from a mimer of the previous Rebbe that's printed in Sefer HaMamarim Yiddish. And the Friedrich Rebbe ends with these words. This, then, is the ultimate purpose of our creation. The purpose of Yeridas Nishmatola Olam Hazeh. The reason that our soul has become embodied in a terrestrial frame. Why? So that we might work on the material world to reveal its spiritual essence. It seems to me that, at least in the Paslechem's view, this is what Rabbeinu Bechai is getting at here. And so he emphasizes a life of service, a life of goodness, a life of holiness, a life of fulfillment, a life of mission, a life of meaning, a life of sacred purpose. And this, he says, is the, that's the fourth introduction. You want to have betochen? You want to have trust in Hashem? And then you want to benefit from those betochen brachot, from the blessings that this remarkable form of relationship called trust is able to engender? Well, you need to make an effort first to serve Hashem. If you're serving Hashem, then it makes sense for you to expect the benefits of betachin. Rabbeinu Bechaya now draws upon a Mishnah to illustrate and make his point. In fact, one could argue that this Mishnah succinctly sums up this very idea. The Mishnah is found in Mesechet Avot. It's found in the beginning of the second chapter. It's the fourth Mishnah. And as Rabbeinu Bechaya says, that once you do what God expects of you, you can expect then, that the Creator in turn should agree with what you want. And once the Creator has you doing what He asked you to do, He does what you expect of Him. As a rabbis of blessed memory said, Make your will like his will. So that he will make his will like your will. Sounds like a Sounds like a little bit of a tongue twister. Make your will like his will so that his will will be your will. Yeah, I mean, 
in as many words, what we're essentially saying is, you should nullify your desires. As the Tov Halavonon puts it, Batel Ritzoncha means Batel Ta'avotcha. You have cravings, desires, maybe even lusts. Okay, vaporize them. Get rid of them, get past them. I want to say something to that person. I'm going to embarrass him. I'm going to give him back. And I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to do what I want to do. Not because I don't have something to say. Not because I couldn't nuke him back. Because Hashem doesn't want me to do that. It's better to be shamed than to shame. It's better to be attacked than to attack. So I'm not going to give in to my cravings. I'm not going to allow myself to be drawn into what I want in the here and now, in the immediate moment. Because, so that this doesn't bring to a violation of Hashem's mitzvahs. Because, you know, giving in to one's cravings and lusts rarely leads to the fulfillment of God's will. I mean, who are we fooling? You lust and crave kindness and compassion? You lust and crave spirituality, the way you do sensual pleasure or the fulfillment of libido? If you said yes, you must be a tzaddik. I'm honored that you're watching. I have to tell you, I don't really believe you. I don't really know any tzaddikim. And I don't think tzaddikim would waste their time with me. My friend, really and truly, we all have natural desires, cravings, lusts. They don't come from a good place. It's nature. And nature was made by God, to be transcended by humans. Our own nature, that is, not somebody else's. We were gifted with the ability to overcome the challenges God gave us so that they might become opportunities instead of impediments. And that's what life's about. So, don't give in to your whims, your will, your craving. Because if you do, you'll end up violating Hashem's mitzvahs. As the Tevalavanim puts it, in profoundly Hasidic terms, Tifresh Afmin Hamutalach. Avoid that which is permissible. This idea is first articulated in its fullest sense by Nachmanides, by Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman who in his commentary of the Torah in the beginning of Parshas Kedosh maintains that avoiding that which is permissible is actually a positive mitzvah of being holy. Hasidim really focus on this and talk about it a lot. So this idea, says the Teva Levonin, is all in order for If you do that, then Hashem will nullify the will of others. As the Mishnah says, your will becomes his will, and then overcome your will, before his will, that the will, the whims of others, people who might not have the best of intentions towards you, their ideas will be nullified. Things will work out the way you hope and aspire for them to be. Your objectives will be realized because you set your own desires and objectives in the immediate sense on the side, because you restrain yourself. So let's, let's think about it. What did the Mishnah just tell us? 
The Mishnah essentially is telling us, you want God to do what you want? You do what God wants. In as many words, Abed Bechai is saying, you want Hashem to provide for you because you are going to be exhibiting trust in Him? Yeah, so then you have to be observant of Hashem's will. You have to be engaged in the service of Hashem to be able to expect that. Now this certainly, on the surface, seems to be a very different message than we started today's study with. That's not what the Medrash says in Yaakot Shimoni. It's not what we read in the Ikarim or in the passage I quoted from Nachmanides. They seem to say, you trust in Hashem and things will work out. Rabbeinu Bechai seems to say, no, 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 not so fast. First, you do what Hashem wants. Then you can trust in Hashem and expect that trust to be effective. Forgive me for just one moment. There we go. Va'omar HaKosov, Rabbeinu B'chaya continues and he says, it's not even just the sages, if you will. The verse in scripture essentially says precisely this. And he draws on the very verse that Nachmanides quoted. The very verse that Nachmanides said, you just trust in Hashem, doesn't matter if you're good or wicked. Rabbeinu B'chaya says, no, 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 no. You, what do you mean just trust in Hashem? The verse says, betach Hashem, trust in Hashem, but there's a proviso, v'asei tov, and do good things. Then, shchoneret, then you can dwell securely in the land. Then, urei emuna, then you can, so to speak, be nourished, be provided for by your faith. Rashi tells us, betach, what is the meaning of trust in Hashem? seems to say exactly what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. He says, Al-Taymer, Imloi Egzel, Ve'egnev, if I won't rob and I won't steal, or Etein La'onitzdoka, if I give of my money, my residuals to those who are needy, don't say, Bames Parnes, well how will I make a living? And as we've talked about many times, the person of faith, he believes, can be in a situation where he believes so to speak, atmospherically. The faith is out there. He subscribes to it broadly and overarchingly speaking, but it doesn't make its way down into the details. When it filters down into the details, this person who believes God can help him is breaking into somebody else's house to steal. And you say, hey, 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 what are you doing? If you believe that God can help you, and clearly you do because you're praying and asking God to help you in your heist. If you believe God can help you, then why in heaven would you steal? Why don't you just say, God, please help me. Just pray for the ability to make a livelihood in an honest way. Because belief isn't enough. As we've been quoting again and again, the famous words of Rabbeinu Yoyna, that Ramban quotes, Loi kol Not every believer is a truster. Every truster, every baiteach is a believer. But believing in Hashem has to be distilled into trust so that it becomes something that actually informs and guides the way we live on a daily basis. Rashi says, seems to be saying precisely this, betach, don't just believe in God, trust in God. 
trust that you don't have to break the law in order to be sustained. That you can comfortably share of your wealth and your affluence and don't worry about what will be left for you. Do the right thing. Hashem will provide for you. So we're being told, trust. And then it says, Ba'asaytev. Ba'oz, once you have trust in Hashem, Tishkin Eretz Le'erechiyam, then you'll be able to dwell upon the land for long days. Rashi concludes, You will benefit from, you will be able to be nourished by virtue of, in recompense, if you will, of the emuna of the faith you have in Hashem. That you believed in God, not in a manner of not this atmospheric fake faith, but in a way which is betochen oriented, actual trust. Lismaich Allah to rely on Him. As we've learned time and again, the definition of betochen is to rely, a blissful reliance on Hashem. The Pasuk seems to conflate and equate the importance of doing good things with having trust in Hashem. The Mitzudas David says, B'tach Hashem trust in God and do good. And then, then, by virtue of your trust and your activities of holiness, oz tishkain then you can live, then you can experience longevity. Then you will be able to reap the benefits of betochen, of the trust you put in Hashem, of faith actualized. He didn't behave in a wicked fashion. Rabbeinu David Kimchi, known as Radak, goes even further. He says, The meaning is in the inverted order. Asaytoiv, do good, ubitach. And then your trust can be effective and meaningful. So Rabbeinu Bachaya's understanding of this verse is consistent with the Medin Roshonim. And the question, of course, is how do we square that with the words of Nachmanides? He uses the very same verse, it seems, to teach us something. Very, very different. Rabbeinu Bechayat quoted a Mishnah. He quoted a verse from Psalms, and now he goes to the Book of Lamentations. And there he says, in the third chapter, the 25th verse says, Toiv Hashem Likoivov. God is good for those who put their hope in Him. L'nefesh to the soul that seeks him. The Medrash Rabbah identifies a seeming redundancy. We spoke about God is good to those who place their hope in him. And then we said, So the Medrash says, God is good to those who place their hope or trust in Him. After having said the first condition, all you need is hope, all you need is trust, 
Likoivav, trust, place your hope, your reliance, your aspiration in God. The Pasa comes along and then adds Lenefesh to the Rishenu, to the soul that seeks him. Says Radhamedrish, Yochel from the first statement, I might have thought that the intention is Lakoil for everybody, so long as you hope. You can be an idolater, as long as you hope in God too. Toiv Hashem Lakoivav. So the, the Talmud Loima, the verse concludes the message and says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You can't just hope in God. Toiv Hashem Lakoivav. To the one who seeks out God exclusively, which indicates the trust exclusivity that we've spoken about prior. But here, Rabbeinu Bechaya wants to emphasize to the soul that seeks him. The soul that seeks him refers to the person who's living a life of pious observance, the person who lives a life that is filled with efforts to do the right. Thing. Ah. So you have to do something. You can't just place your trust. You can't just get away with hoping in God. Well, what is the Alkut Shimonim saying then when it talks about the wicked and the righteous? Did the Ikarim not know this? Does the Ramban? Just ignore these obvious truisms. Rabbeinu Yonah says something very similar in his commentary on Mishlei in the third chapter on the 26th verse. We've quoted some of that Rabbeinu Yonah and we will yet be quoting it Be'ezrat Hashem as we move our way through this incredible series. But this is, um, this is a very big question. It's a question that has to be answered. Let me share with you the commentary of the Marpa Lenefesh. Marpelinefesh says, I want you to know, he says, that despite the fact that God is indeed merciful on everyone. This is the very same verse Nachman is quoted. On everyone. Rabbeinu Bachaya himself quoted this verse. Rabbeinu Bachaya himself made the case for Betochen on the foundation of God's mercy for everyone. He said, That can't allow a person to proverbially bless himself in his heart. Be flippant, arrogant, and ignore God. <laughs> to say, I'll be just fine. I can do as I please. And God will be there for me. I don't really need to live my life in accordance with God rules. I'm not my own rules. And do my own thing. And God will be good anyway. You think it makes a difference if you're pious or righteous? Come on. So long as you believe it's good enough. Some faith systems subscribe to that. Judaism does not. Says the Marpilla Nefesh. And what if things are going great for this person? He says, oh no. Trust me, I'm onto something. I just trust in God. I put my faith in God. I don't do any mitzvahs. Eh, I have no time for that. 
too busy having fun, too busy making a living. I got, I got things to do, but I do trust in God. And because I trust in God, everything's great. Marpel Nefesh says, Shaitim Atzliech, you may be doing fine now, but know this, you can run, but you can't hide from his judgment. Soif, in the end, Yimtza Bal the debtor will collect. He will find a makom, and he will find a zman. He will find the place, he will find the time, and he will collect. He will exact payment. At the time and place of his choosing. And it may seem strange to us. And we oftentimes will not understand the ways of Hashem. But we must know that in fact it is so. As such, Therefore we should be making every effort to do all of the bidding that God has given. All the commandments we were instructed. And this is all so that Hashem should agree. Agree to do what we want from Him. And if we will do what Hashem asks of us, what God asks, says the Marpel and Nefesh, then Gam Hashem Yaskim, then God Himself will agree as well, and He will do what we expect of Him, that which we trust He will do, and the reliance that we place in Him. It's just as you desire, that Almighty God should fulfill all of your requests, of your desires. So it seems pretty clear. The Mepharshim seem to understand Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you need to do your part. And when you do your part, then you can expect Hashem to do His part. Of course, the obvious question is, I mean, reward and punishment is not necessarily linked to trust. It's not linked to betachen. Reward and punishment is a general thing. We know that God recompenses for all and everything you do, there is a consequence. Good consequences and consequences that are less than savory. It depends on the actions you take. God is always keeping score, so to speak. And everything you do matters. You matter. Every moment of your life matters. And everything you think, say, or do matters to Hashem. And if that doesn't make sense to you or me, that's perfectly fine. That's what we believe in. <laughs> I don't believe God created the world. To me, it's a perfectly logical conclusion. It seems impossible for our world or our universe to be an accident. But I have to believe that this vast, unfathomable creator cares about me intimately. That the things I say or do or think matter to him makes no sense. That I have to believe in. But what does that have to do with Betachemen? That's a general thing. You do the right thing, Hashem will respond in kind. This does seem to be a bit of a a bit of a gray situation. On one hand, we're talking about the power, the profundity of trust in Hashem. On the other hand, we seem to be saying, it's not that simple. 
you need to do good things, and then you could expect the good things to come in reciprocal fashion. So, what's the truth? A key to understanding or unlocking this mystery is the fact that Rabbeinu Bahaya doesn't stop here. He's made his case. He made it very clear. He says, this is the fourth introduction. This is, the, this is a basic foundational principle. You can't just have faith. You can't just trust in Hashem. You actually have to earn the goodness that you seek. But he doesn't stop here. Now, he begins to further discuss this. Avol, after having made a statement in three sentences, and having quoted a Mishnah, and having quoted a verse from the book of Til, and having quoted a verse from the book of Lamentations, so we have a succinct summing up of Rabbeinu Bachai's idea in a Mishnah, reflected in at least two biblical verses. That's not enough. Now Rabbeinu Bachai feels compelled to say, But one who does trust in Hashem. And we've learned a little bit about what that means. And he rebels against him. What a fool he is. What a fool he is. So now, one minute. After quoting these verses, and after showing us a Mishnah, and after telling us something that anyway is common sense, it makes no logic, no rhyme or reason to say, do as you please, act as you will, and don't worry, God will give you anyway. Then what's the purpose of our very existence? Why do God bother giving us a Torah if it doesn't make a difference if we do or don't? I mean, that's, he's made his argument. Rabbeinu Bechaya persists as we move on to the next page now. Page 78. And he says, the person who is rebellious against God, Kamo Sochel, what a fool he is. Kamo Daite Chalusha, how feeble-minded is this person? Vakarasai, and his recognition, his recognition of the truth. This translation drives me crazy. Now, now, now Hakarasi is understanding. I don't know. Havana is understanding. Hakara is recognition, but whatever. So how, how foolish. You see this in your own life. He's like, he's going to illustrate this in our own interpersonal dealings. Suppose you appointed somebody to do something for you. When you instruct this person, say, hey, I need you to do me a favor. This is really important to me. Don't ask me why. This is something I want you to do. I want you to do whatever it is. Or where he says, don't do X, Y, and Z. Don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do that. And the person that you empowered and trusted and gave this responsibility to do ABC, and you said, don't do X, Y, Z, and this person goes along, and then he violates all of the mitzvahs, all the instructions you just gave him. And then what happens is this person has basically flagrantly violated everything you did. 
This will be the strongest reason for you not to follow through with your reciprocal promise. Your reciprocity was based on, hey, I asked you to do me a favor. I asked you to do A, B, C. You laughed in my face. I said, don't do that. And you went ahead and did it. I'm not going to do what you're asking me. This is the number one reason. You trusted that I would do this for you? Well, I trusted you would do this for me. Basic reciprocity. My friends, let me ask you like a simple question. You're all highly intelligent, educated people. What was missing? What was missing in the first argument? You made the argument that you need to pony up and be a mensch. You need to do what Hashem asks of you if you expect Hashem to do what you want from Him. It's a Mishnah. Our sages spelled it out in the clearest of terms. The prophets said it openly, overtly, obviously. We needed to have a metaphor of what you ask somebody to do and what they didn't do for you. What, what, what is this like? Something was not understood about mitzvahs, about ins- expectations, about commandments, about instructions, about responsibility. <laughs> like, how did the wise person once say, which part of thou shalt not did you not understand? Thou shalt not. Ah, you mean I shouldn't do it? Yeah, don't do it. So I shouldn't do it? I said that twice. What did this metaphor add? Oh, by the way, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is not finished yet. In case you didn't get it yet, he says, How much more so? A person who flagrantly violates the instructions, the statutes of God and His commandments. This God has warned you and made it known to you. The Menoyah Chalavavah says, Asher yied Hashem yizborech ba'atzmai. God himself spoke to us at Sinai. Mass revelation. He said, Anoichi Hashem alikecha. I am the Lord your God. Don't you make any other gods. And then we built a golden calf. We said, oh God, you mean you don't want us to build a golden calf? Are you joking? Did you not understand what God told you overtly, openly himself? And he gave testimony. He warned you. Through his prophets. And his sages, the teachers of Torah. What do you mean you didn't know what God expected of you? You didn't know, you didn't know what the purpose of life was. Figure it out. Find out. Ignorance of the law is in no way exonerating. Find out what the law is. Learn about it. Like Like seriously? You knew enough to trust in Hashem, but you had no idea what He wanted or expected from you. The Neder B'Kodesh says, Yied V'Heyed is just Lashon Azara. It's like, like, for example, we find this in Genesis 43, where the brothers of Yosef come home to Jacob and they say, that man warned us. Oh, did he warn us? He said, don't, don't me see your face again without your little brother. You know, this is how he was going to get them to bring Benjamin. So it says, Heyed, Heyed Bono. So it's a redundancy. You don't like this idea that God spoke to you personally? Okay, fine. How many times did he tell it to you in his Torah? We're not talking about somebody who doesn't believe in God. We're not talking about somebody who's agnostic. Somebody who's 
ignoring the presence of God altogether. This is a person who's trusting God. He's trusting God. <laughs> okay, if he's trusting God, obviously, he must believe in God. He's trusting him. So for heaven's sake, if you're trusting God, placing your full blissful reliance on him, God will take care of me. But I have no clue what he expects of me. What are you talking about? That makes absolutely no sense. That obviously, it goes without saying, that the hope of his trust is going to be dashed. Is going to come back empty-handed. It's like fake trusts. Kishi Amreyu, when you rebel against God. Could you call a guy? He's busy stuffing his face with non-kosher food and engaging in non-kosher relationships and wasting every free minute of his time and wherewithal on binging after materialism, on fulfilling every desire, every pleasure of his own self-gratification. Not an ounce of compassion, friendship, care, or concern for anybody else's needs, but he trusts in God. Oh, you trust in God, no problem. You'll, you'll be getting exactly what you need because you trust in God. It's beyond ridiculous. You think maybe it still makes sense? Rebbein Rechai says, trust me, it doesn't make sense. It can't make sense. The scripture says so. And here he goes to the book of Job. And Eov says, Ki ma What then, he says, is the hope of, I guess you call him the, uh, the hypocrite, but the hope of a person who flatters God. Tikvas chonef is a, you know, a wicked person. Ki God will essentially disembowel him or disburden him of his life. Toss him out. Is his cry, when trouble comes, going to be heard by God? I mean, this is it's just common logic. It's common sense what he's saying. Did you notice, Rabbeinu Bechaya, he spent like three paragraphs on this? Makes his case. And then he gives you this illustration. And then he comes back and says, and how much more so when it comes to God? And yet, another verse is required. And if that's not good enough, he says, let me give you another three verses. And here, he takes us off to the seventh chapter of Jeremiah. In Sefer Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah strongly, strongly rebukes visitors to the Beis Hamikdash who come to pray, who have confidence that as long as I come to Hashem's house and follow the rites and rituals, the blessings will come my way. <laughs> I got an insurance policy. I can do whatever I want because I went to the base of Migdash. What are you talking about, says Jeremiah? That's ridiculous. If you follow in corrupt ways, Hashem will reject your offerings. It's interesting 
that the word betochen shows up in the verses prior to what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar quotes. For example, in verse 4 it says, Don't place your trust in these words of falsehood. And later on in verse 8 he says, he says, Atem boitchim. You are so certain. You are trusting. Relying. On what? That the Beis HaMikdash will magically erase all of your inappropriateness because you came to the Beis HaMikdash? And what? The trust works differently? As long as you trust, no matter what you do? Jeremiah thunders and he says, Hagoinev ratzeyach v'noyev. What do you, you think that you're going to, you're going to steal, murder, fornicate, commit adultery, and everything's going to be fine for you? You swear falsely? Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar omits the balance of the verse because it speaks specifically about service in the temple. And he isn't talking about the temple per se. He's using these temple verses as a paradigm as an example of righteousness gone wrong because it isn't backed up with a life of commitment and devotion and dedication. It doesn't work. He skips from verse 9 to verse 10 and he says, and after having done all of these things, and then you will come and stand before me in this house as a nikru love that my name is called upon? Seriously? And we'll say, oh, it's okay. <laughs> came before God. Va'omar, and he goes now, he skips the rest of the verse, which focuses specifically on the Beit HaMikdash, and he goes to verse 11, in which Jeremiah says to the people, Is this not the greatest act of sacrilege, he says? Has this house upon which my name is called become a den of criminals, of scoundrels, of, of wild animals? In, in your eyes, that is. This house of mine? Really? <laughs> it mean just, I'm going to have betochen. I'm going to have trust. Everything's going to be fine. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds patently ridiculous. Rabbi Avraham the son of Maimonides, the son of the Rambam, in his Hamaspik Lavaidus Hashem, that which is needed for he who wishes to serve Hashem, in his eighth chapter, which is all about betochen, trustful reliance on Hashem, he says there is a mavoi for betochen. There's a gateway, a foyer that leads into this relying, this trust in Hashem. Hamavoi le betochen wrote the Rambam's son. The gateway to trust is Hashmiya B'Kail Hashem Yisala. It's obedience. Listening, which is a euphemism for obedience to the word of Hashem. Dvekut B'Torah Torah. Cleaving to His Torah. Which is a very strong statement of commitment. Vehishamrut Mipnei Merida, and taking care to avoid rebelliousness. Rabbeinu Bechaya quotes the, uh, the Rabbeinu Avraham, the son of the Rambam, quotes the precise verse that Nachmanides quoted, telling us that a wicked person could trust. 
He quotes the same exact verse as did Rabbeinu B'chai. He says, Betach B'Hashem V'asaytev. Trust in God, but do good. And he quotes another series of verses from the book of Psalms. And he says, Psukov be'inyan zeh rabim ad me'od. There are multiples. Many, many verses speak to this notion, to this idea, to this concept, this axiom, that your actions will speak louder than your trust, your obedience, your, your commitment to Hashem. Avol wrote Rabbi Avram, he says, oh, I trust in God. I am a, I'm a betochen person. He violates, he flagrantly violates Hashem's will. This is like the words of Yirmiyahu. And here, instead of going to verse 8, he stop, stops at verse 4. Don't put your trust in those kind of fake words. And again, he quotes verse 8, which Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quote. Hine atem boitchem. What are you trusting in? Adivri Sheker. Rabbi Avram finishes with this statement. Uknei es hadover. Acquire this. Acquire it. Ki hu hu iker habitochen. Because it is the foundation of betochen. So Rabbi Avram is saying it's the foundation of betochen. Rabbeinu B'chaya tells us in Shara B'tochen that it is the requisite principle, foundational principle. And yet, we have so many Rishonim who seem to be saying that B'tochen is effective for sinners and for wicked people too. The good news is that the Rebbe sheds extraordinary light on this entire issue without even meaning to address this issue. It's almost addressed in a footnote of one of his edited talks. And for the balance of today's class, today's episode, I'm going to focus on this incredible sikha, this amazing talk that the Rebbe gave, and I'm going to show you how the Rebbe explains the words of Rabbeinu Bachaya in a manner that is consistent with everything else that we have learned. And once you see how the Rebbe views it, you will notice by nuance and by tiny detail how all of the different mafarshim are actually alluding to the very same thing. It's implicit. It's implicit. You'll forgive me for a moment. I just want to grab the safer. I forgot that book. I'll be back in a moment. This is um, one of the most groundbreaking essays or ruminations on Betochen of all time, in my humble opinion. What do I know? I'm just a little guy, but that's uh, 
an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, compilation of uh, things that Ebbe said on a number of occasions, actually. It's a rather long rumination. It seems that this is uh, primarily things that the Rebbe spoke about. I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the, in the um, winter of 1966, as well as things he mentioned in the winter of 1963. And this is, and it's sewn together from both of those occasions when the Rebbe spoke about this, and a number of other occasions as well as copious footnotes that the Rebbe added when he edited this talk. So the, the talk opens on a Midrasha comment about Moshe Rabbeinu and about Yaakov Avinu, about Moses and about Jacob. With regard to Moses, we are introduced to him taking affirmative action. He sees a person who's tormenting an Egyptian taskmaster, a rapist, who's tormenting the husband of his rape victim endlessly. And there's no justice. And he takes affirmative action. It does the only thing he can to save innocent people. And then he hears people speaking about what he did, and he becomes very frightened. And then there's the story of Jacob, which precedes this. It's actually this week's Torah portion. Where Jacob is heading back home to the land of Israel. And he's concerned. In fact, he's very anxious. He has anxiety about his upcoming confrontation with his murderously intentful brother, Esau. Esau who's coming to greet him, if you want to use that term. So he's very worried. And the Medrash says that both Jacob and Moses made a tragic mistake. That they should not have been fearful. They should not have been worried. But rather, they should have had perfect trust in Hashem. They should have experienced in the imagery of the Pasuk, of the verse which is found in... Tehillim, Nachain, Libay, Batuachba. He should have been heartfelt in his trust in Hashem, and everything would have worked out. The problem was, the problem was that they were afraid. But why were they afraid? So our sages tell us they were concerned because they didn't know if they had the merits to earn Hashem's protection. In other words, it was their extraordinary humility was their humility and because of their humility they said how can we rely on God's protection assuming that Hashem will take care of us so the Rebbe says well perhaps we could explain the concept of betachen along the following lines when a person is found in a very difficult situation, he must understand that it's not because, heaven forfend, that a person is controlled by circumstances, but that God takes a hands-off attitude or approach. 
but rather he has to know that everything's from heaven. And because everything is from heaven, he finds himself he's at perfect peace. Everything's from heaven. If no bad, no evil, no harm is supposed to befall him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Almighty God will certainly save him. And there is no limitation to God's ability. Even when there is no natural way out, God is not limited by nature. And if he's not worthy of this kindness, if he's not deserving of deliverance, if for whatever reason he deserves this kind of suffering as a consequence of punishment, he's at perfect peace. It's a perfect peace. Why? He knows. My suffering doesn't come from this person who comes at me with baleful intent. It's from Hashem. Everything's from God. And therefore, in any set of circumstances, I'm perfectly at ease. So that was the story here with Jacob. He didn't know if he was deserving. He didn't know if he had earned Hashem's protection. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't find himself deserving in Hashem's eyes. The Rebbe comes back and he says, that can't be right. That can't be the meaning of betachen. Because as we have learned, midas habetochen, and the Rebbe emphasizes this word, bepashtus, in its straightforward, dare I say simplistic, or obvious meaning, I'm at peace with whatever comes my way. If I deserve it, I'm at peace with it. If I don't deserve it, God will save me. That's not what Betachem means. As we have learned, Betachem means I am absolutely certain God is going to do what is good for me in this world. Hashem will save me from the situation. And in view of the first approach that the Rebbe suggested, who then could be certain that Hashem is going to save them? Only somebody who's deserving. Ah, so in that case, who is Betachen for? Not even for Moses. Not even for Father Jacob. So then who is Betachen for? <laughs> who? This tiny band of tzaddikim? Maybe a minion over a millennia? If even that? Tell me, says the Rebbe, who is the one who can state with absolute certainty about himself, oh, I'm deserving. I know God's going to save me because I'm deserving. But then the proviso would have to be that they're going to be at peace, tranquil, no anxiety. Because, well, if it was supposed to be bad, then that was what God wanted anyway. 
But that's not what we're talking about. And the Rebbe says, our Chayvah Salavavis, the Shar HaBetochen, says otherwise explicitly. Rabbeinu Bechaya, earlier, in the second chapter, when he speaks about Hasib HaShviyas, the seventh reason, he gives the rationale of Betochen. He says the rationale of Betochen is not punishment and reward or, or the natural consequence of whatever we do, that there's a reciprocity between us and God. That's not what Betochen is. Rabbeinu Bechaya himself said that the Siba Asher Bahen Yitochen HaBetochen, that the very reason that allows for Betochen to be experienced is because I know that the person, provider, that I have placed my trust in is the most benevolent and the most generous. And Rabbeinu Bechaya says, To the one who is deserving, And to the one who is not deserving. His beneficence, his generosity is constant. His kindness continues to flow, to express itself. It isn't truncated. It doesn't end. In other words, betochen, according to Rabbeinu Bechaya himself, is based on the idea that God is good to the one who's not deserving also. It is not possible to misconstrue Rabbeinu Bechaya from his own words. It is not possible to say that Rabbeinu Bechaya said that betochen is something that's relevant only for tzaddikim when Rabbeinu Bechaya himself, but a chapter earlier clearly stated that's not the case. He said that the very essence, the foundation of us being able to have betochen, to rely on Hashem, to trust Hashem, is that we necessarily know with certainty that God will do good for us because He is good. Because he is benevolent and because he is generous and because he's giving, because he loves us. So if Hashem's Rachamim comes, even for he who isn't deserving, so then how could you be sure in this betachen? Like, based on what? Oh, just trusting God will be good. He's behaving badly. The Rebbe goes on to explain, as I've shared with you multiple times, that the meaning of betochen is not simply that he believes. Shekiv on shechaste Hashem, and now I'm on page five. This is Lukut Tzichas Chilkam, Bedvav thirty-six. Excuse me, chapter uh, book of Lukut Tzichas. It's the first rumination. That he believes that Chazde Hashem him believe Midob that God is just good. Nah, doesn't make a difference. Do as you please. And because God is just good, and nothing matters. You don't matter. I don't matter. I mean, we matter because God loves us and gives us. But we don't. It doesn't matter how we behave. It doesn't matter what we do. And that's how we're going to receive God's beneficence. Without any kind of effort. 
if we believe that, then we basically have done away with the very basic principle of consequence, of punishment and reward, which is, by the way, a principle of Jewish faith, a foundational principle. It doesn't mean that. Ella, rather, as we have learned multiple times, Betochen is ultimately an act of devotion and commitment, an act of spiritual courage that takes tremendous stamina and enormous effort in and of itself. We spelled this out very clearly in previous episodes. And as such, making those efforts, investing that kind of power, that kind of currency in the relationship with God earns you Hashem's blessings. It doesn't come for free. It doesn't come indiscriminately. It comes to you because you've earned it by virtue of the betachen. But how then are we to square Rabbeinu Bechaya's own words who says that you have to be deserving? So in a footnote, the Rebbe addresses this very question. And he says, And even though Rabbeinu Bechaya says in chapter 3, you have to be very careful in your supervision, self-supervision, to do what Hashem wants. So God should agree with what you want. So the Rebbe explains. This is so that your behavior isn't a flagrant contradiction of your trust in God. You can't say, I trust God. I rely on God. I value my relationship with God. But I don't do anything God wants. I live a life that is entirely libertine and selfish and pleasure-seeking. And it has nothing to do. God is irrelevant. My behavior, I do whatever I want. Oh, but, but God's very relevant to me. He's very important in my life. I rely on God for everything. I don't give a hoot what God says. It sounds insane. It's called a contradiction in terms. And the point is, it is not reasonably possible. It's not within the realm of logic to trust in Hashem. And at the same time, to be rebellious to God. As the Rebbe says, that's the reason for the whole metaphor. The purpose of the metaphor is this. A person who has betochen has to be serious about wanting a relationship with Hashem. You have to make the efforts to have a relationship with Hashem. You have to try and avoid the things that Hashem tells you to avoid. Does that mean we have to be perfect? Does that mean that if we sinned, slipped or tripped, we can't have betochen? No. As long as you're going to make efforts to come close to Hashem. Let's go back to the words of Ramban. He didn't say, do as you please. He said, even if right now you're a Russia, if you're a wicked person, you did bad things, you want to turn a new leaf. Do you know how long tshuva takes? A moment. A moment. 
even though you don't have the proverbial brownie points saved up, you don't have the capital to spend. You can still appeal to Hashem's mercy. B'tach ba'ashem. Hu He is the master of mercy. You don't need mercy for tzaddikim. What do you need mercy for? They're deserving of it. Mercy is for he or she who doesn't deserve of goodness. That's what you ask for mercy for. I don't deserve, and you know it, but be merciful anyway. When a person seeks out the presence of Hashem, when a person feels guilty and bad about what he did, says Dramban, start by trusting in Hashem. Don't focus on whether you earned or didn't earn it. But what do you need to be doing right away? Even though he's gracious, even though he's merciful, don't let your Yitzhahara tell you it doesn't make a difference. You have to do your best to try and come closer to Hashem. So when you have betochen in Hashem, then you better start behaving well. This is why the Rebbe says Rebbeinu B'chayi introduces us to this metaphor. It's not a simple equation of right and wrong, of what's halachically Russia and tzaddik. As the Alter Rebbe articulates in the beginning of Tanya, if a person does a single sin, a single aveda, even if he or she simply misses a, a moment of devotion that Hashem mandates, mikri Russia. The Gemara says you called a Russia right there and then. That would bar any of us from the ability to work on betachen. So he gives you a metaphor. The metaphor is flagrant violation. He doesn't say you have to do all the mitzvahs. He says, Hishtadlu, so you have to be trying. Are you trying to do mitzvahs? Are you making efforts to come close to Hashem? Are you watching what you do? It's like a person who's dieting. They're watching what they eat. In a moment of weakness, they ate something they shouldn't eat. They're making efforts. By the way, the scale is merciless, doesn't care <laughs> how, many, how much effort you made. The scale doesn't care if, if, if you meant well. The scale just tells you what it is, but Hashem weighs things differently. Hashem says, are you watching yourself? Are you making efforts? Are you trying to live a holy life? If the answer is yes, then you can have betochen and benefit from it. That's why He gives us this whole illustration of interpersonal relationship. And that's why the Bain of finishes with the idea that if you are rebellious, Misha over al says, God warned you, and you said, What? God, Shmad, I'll do whatever I want. He says, when you are rebellious in essence, <laughs> if you're rebellious in essence, what could you expect? About this, Job said, What what hope can you place? Well, God's going to listen to you when you behave like that? Who is Jeremiah speaking to? To people who made a mockery of the Beis HaMikdash. Who people who thought that they could live a life O'Reilly and then come to the Beis HaMikdash and magically everything would disappear. And that God didn't care how people behaved as long as they came to the Beis HaMikdash. Yeah, that's not Judaism. Wrong faith system here. That says the Rebbe, is the point that's being made. There is no argument between our sages. Everybody agrees. They're all saying the same thing. 
They talk here about emphasis. The emphasis here is on efforts. What does Rabbeinu Avram and Avrambam say? He says that a person in medame odem benafshesh ubabatochen ubeemes oivral teres Hashem. A person imagines himself, fools himself, and he flagrantly violates the word of Hashem. That's what's considered to be something that blocks betochen. When a person is not observing mipnei merida as an act of rebellion, it's a world of difference between an act of brazen rebellion and a mistake. We all make mistakes. Yaakov thought that his mistakes would prevent him from receiving Hashem's protection. The Medrash says, that's a mistake. You should be trusting in Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu thought, I may have made a mistake, I may not be deserving. The Medrash says, trust in Hashem! The truth is that Yaakov and Moshe are on a different level, and as we learned about many an episode ago, there's a distinction between those who serve Hashem on one level and people like us. People like us who are very much keenly aware of ourselves and our needs. We are able to have betochen, my friends. Otherwise, the whole betochen is a non-starter. It is a totally misguided mistake, entirely wrong-headed notion, to think that Rabbeinu Bechaya disputes and argues with the words of Ramban, Karim, or Rabbeinu Yena, or that he contradicts an open statement which is made in Yaakov Shimoni. The Rebbe says it so clearly, so beautifully. And that, my friends, is ultimately the answer to the question. Thank you for joining. Let's keep making efforts to serve Hashem. Let's watch ourselves. Let's be careful to try to avoid the things that are inappropriate. And as long as we keep making efforts to be to be servants of Hashem, growing every day, moving forward regularly. At the same time, we can nurture, develop, and create a powerful betochen, a reliance, and a trust in Hashem. And it will bring us a good that is overt, obvious, and revealed. Hopefully, our betochen, our trust in Hashem, will accelerate this process of redemption and Mashiach, whose arrival we anticipate and yearn for. And together, we'll be able to see the fruits of our efforts and our betachen with the coming of Mashiach. If you enjoyed, please be so kind as to like and share. And I'd really appreciate it if you could try to help make sure that more people subscribe. YouTube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. Let's get the subscriptions up. Let's continue to share the message of faith and betochen and Hashem. And with God's help, we will hear and share only good news. Thank you. Amen.